Chapter twenty nine of the Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred, part two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred, part two. By Francois Rene de Chateaubriand. Chapter twenty nine. London from April to September, eighteen twenty two. Reflections. Old Canada indian population demoralization true civilization promoted by religion false civilization by trade backwoodsmen factories hunting mixed races contest between trading companies death of the indian languages the canadians are no longer such as they have been described by cartier champlain laontin lescarbot lafitteau charlevoix and the lettre edifiante the sixteenth century and the beginning of the seventeenth were the times of fertile imagination and of simple manners the admiration of the former reflected a virgin nature and the candour of the latter reproduced the simplicity of the savage champlain at the end of his first voyage to canada in sixteen o three relates that an island lying to the south of the bay of chaleur is regarded as the abode of a dreadful monster whom the savages call gougou canada had its giant as well as the cape of storms homer is the true father of all these fables there are always and everywhere cyclops scylla and charybdis ogres or giants the savage population of north america exclusive of mexico and the eskimo does not at present amount to four hundred thousand souls reckoning all the tribes on both sides of the rocky mountains some travellers limit the number to a hundred and fifty thousand demoralization has kept pace among the indians with the diminution of their tribes religious traditions are become confused the instruction imparted by the jesuits in canada has become mixed up with ideas foreign to the native ideas of the indigenous races through the mists of gross fables there may still be traced some distorted images of christian truths the most of the indians wear crosses in the manner of ornaments and what the catholic missionaries formerly bestowed as emblems of religious faith are sold to them now by protestant traders let me observe to the honour of our country and the glory of our religion that the indians were warmly attached to us that they never ceased to regret our rule and that a black gown a missionary is still held in veneration amid the forests of america the savage continues to love us under the tree where we were his first guests on the soil which we have trodden and where we have committed to him the care of our tombs as long as the indian continued naked or clothed in skins there was something great and noble in his character now european rags without covering his nakedness bear witness to his misery he is like a beggar at the door of a counting-house and no longer a savage in his wilds lastly there has sprung up a kind of half-caste race the offspring of colonists and indian women these men surnamed burntwoods barbrulé on account of the colour of their skin are the great promoters of change between the authors of their double origin speaking at once the language of both parents they inherit the vices of both races these meagre descendants of a civilized and a savage nature sell themselves one while to the americans and another to the english in order to secure for the one or the other monopoly of the fur trade they cherish rivalries between the english hudson's bay and northwest companies with those of the columbian american and missouri fur companies and others they themselves are continually engaged in hunting expeditions for contractors and accompanied by hunters paid out of the funds of the several companies the great war of american independence is alone known the world is ignorant of the fact that blood has been shed to promote the miserable interests of a mere handful of traders 
In 1811, the Hudson's Bay Company sold to Lord Selkirk a territory on the banks of the Red River, where an establishment was formed in 1812. The North West, or Canada Company, took offence at the proceeding. The two factions and their respective Indian allies, seconded by the Bois Brule, came to actual hostilities, and this domestic conflict, horrible in its details, took place in the midst of the icy deserts of Hudson's Bay. Lord Selkirk's colony was destroyed in the month of June, 1815, precisely at the period of the Battle of Waterloo. On these two theatres, so different in their renown and obscurity, the calamities of the human race were the same. We must seek no longer in America for those skilfully constructed political constitutions, of which Charvois has given an account, for the monarchy of the Hurons and the Republic, of the Iroquois. Changes of the same nature have been brought about, and are still gradually occurring in Europe, even under our eyes. A Prussian poet, at a banquet of the Teutonic Order, about the year 1400, sang in the ancient Prussian language of the heroic deeds of the ancient warriors of his country. No one understood him, and his only reward was one hundred empty nuts. In the present day the Barbreton, the Basque, and the Gaelic are perishing from hut to hut, as the generations of shepherds and labourers pass away. In the English county of Cornwall, the original language became obsolete about the year 1676. A fisherman there said to some travellers, I hardly know more than four or five persons who speak Cornish, and they are old people like myself, from sixty to eighty years of age. None of the young people understand a word of it. Some tribes that formerly lived on the Orinoco exist no longer. There only remain about a dozen words of their dialect, which are uttered from the tops of the trees by paroquets which have regained their liberty, like Agrippina's thrush, which chattered Greek upon the balustrades of the palace at Rome. Such will be sooner or later the fate of our modern jargons, which are made up of the remnants of Greek and Latin. Some magpie escaped from the cage of the last French priest will be heard to call out from the top of the belfry of a ruin to the unknown people who may succeed us. Except this, the last effort of a language once known, you will put an end to all further conversation in it. Be then a bossuet, and the consequence will be that your chef d'oeuvre may survive in the recollection of a bird, your language and your memory in the minds of men. End of chapter 29